You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live out of Budgie Smuggler Studios here in downtown Batuta, Old City District. Today we are joined by a controversial figure in Australian politics. You might know him as the new Turnbull. Others know him as the new Latham. No one knows me as the new Latham. Well, the, no one said that ever. The the new old Latham. <laughs> the new old Latham and um, Morrison. Back in December last year, knew him as that bloke that we don't know. Matt Keane, Minister for Energy. And also the environment. And the environment. Two things that work well together. Yep. From New South Wales, of course. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for visiting our humble rural town. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for getting in your budgies today. This is very exciting. I feel overdressed in my suit. I was going to wear my silver skivvy from the Archibalds. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) I left it at home. That is when you reach... It comes out for Eurovision and Archibald paintings. That's when you reach a a certain level of household namery in uh, New South Wales politics is when you get featured in the Archibald Prize. Well, I reckon when Scott Morrison went to the Archibalds this year, he goes, I know that person, that person, but that guy, I don't know who that is. Who is that guy? And then a week or two later, you announced some policy that really uh, made you a household name in Kirribilli. So uh, (laughs) now we're going to start this interview off by asking um, a question I think a lot of people want to know the answer to. What happened in your life that made you want to be a state politician? Oh, well, um, I needed a new form of contraceptive, so I decided that state politics was the way to do that. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's working a treat, I have to say. It's, it's, um, yeah. What made me get into state politics? I was interested in my community and uh, I wanted to make it better. And uh, there was an opportunity that came up to get involved in state politics and uh, I was mad enough to take it. So here I am now. Did you follow this stuff closely as a kid? Because like a a lot of people... You know, a lot, a lot of the everyday punters can tell you their local federal MP. <laughs> and, and then about a week before a state election, they can tell you their, their local state MP. It's going to have to disrobe. This yep. is getting a bit steamy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's you know, in the channel country, mate. Well, yeah, we are. So I see the, why you're in your budgies. <laughs> on the edge of the Simpson Desert up here. So you, were you keeping a close eye on this as a kid? Well, or? if you're asking me if I had posters of John Howard and Paul Keating on my wall growing up in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. the answer is no. Was I interested in politics as a kid? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had a slight interest. I remember in year six, and this is probably like get everyone to turn off their Batuta Advocate podcast, but uh, I wrote a letter to my local MP, Bromwood Bishop. Oh, right. And she wrote back and she sent me this, she sent me like this photo of herself and she signed it as if I was meant to pin it yeah. to my wall. Right. It's quite extraordinary. Here's a picture of the coin. <laughs> Not dissimilar. Your coin. Yeah. Bromwood. Yeah. Bromwood Bishop. Yeah. Her king I don't, was, uh, I don't think name, that buddy. was my inspiration for getting involved in politics. She said, yeah, keep your head down, young fellow. One day you might get in the helicopter yeah. with me. But maybe that's why I went to state politics, not federal what? politics. Yeah. <laughs> you might grow into beef. You might be Philip Ruddick one day. You never know. Well, that, that, I feel like that could have been an honest uh, answer you gave us because you are born and raised in your electorate. I am. Rare. So I am. you can yeah. say that you weren't, you weren't short-balled into a new little rental house three weeks out from pre-selection. <laughs> no. <clears throat> like hap- what happens in Goulburn? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or down in the Shire, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perhaps. I know, yeah. Well, especially, you know. Anyway, yeah. um, 
So you are a local member. You weren't the chosen one, I guess you could say, within the party. You kind of just worked your way up locally and, and you got the pre-selection and then you got elected. Yeah, I, I joined the party when I was uh, 20 years old mm-hmm. and I got involved in student politics and all, all the usual rite of passage for all yep. political hacks. Mm-hmm. And um, we were on the eve of the 2011 election and Barry O'Farrell, who was the then leader of the Liberal Party at the time, when they were in opposition, called me and said, oh, you should run for, you should be a candidate for Hornsby. And I'm like, oh, that's a bit crazy. I'm 28. Yep. And uh, he said, no, no, I'll back you. And here I am. Yeah. And um, then Gladys was crazy enough to put me in as the Minister for Energy and Environment. And yeah. yeah Did she know about your prejudices towards uh, coal science. barons and, um, and science? Well, no, I don't. I, I mean, I didn't. I, I would have thought it didn't need to be said that, that you should believe in, like, it shouldn't be unusual for someone to believe in science and economics and evidence when making policy in this country. But mm-hmm. apparently, like, a whole heap of people are losing their minds over me mm-hmm. doing stuff that's in line with the science and in line with the evidence and in an economically rational way. So, <laughs> you know, we did ask this question to Wyatt Roy, you know, one of the more famous young blokes of the Liberal Party. We asked him, you know, if you had your time again, you know, would you go and do something with your life before you get into politics? I mean, is there any merit in going into politics when you're that young? He I was mean, fairly Mate, young. I was a chartered accountant before I got into okay. politics. So yeah. this is far more exciting than what yep. I was doing before, yep. let me tell you. Mate, like, you know, maybe that explains my personality or lack of it. No, yeah. no offence to any of the accountants listening yeah. to Batuta yep. up yep. in yep. far western Queensland, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, um, I, I've got a great job. I mm-hmm. get to meet interesting people. I get to come on Batuta. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like the highlight of my career. Like, mm-hmm. what, what could be yeah. better than coming on Has Hadley Batuta had you yet? You haven't been on Hadley yet. No, I'm, I'm on Hadley regularly. Okay. It's, it's a different interviewing style that you have to Ray. But, um, yeah. Whereas we don't turn off your mic when we start talking. I oh, no. Ray, <laughs> uh, Ray is very passionate. He's my local uh, constituent as well. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. That was actually Alan. No, Alan was great at that. He'd turn off their mic. He and, would, and then and he'd just yell at you. <laughs> yell at you, and then when he was done, he'd flick you. Alan's yeah. not talking to me at the moment because right. I mentioned the C word. Coal. Climate change. Climate change. And he just wiped right. me. Right. He just wiped me. So, yeah. I mean, he's still got as big a platform as ever now. He's got about 9,000 people he, a night is on he, News. Is he still that powerful? I mean, obviously, you know, there are, you know, he's he's the person you can't really talk about anywhere. Look, um, he's not dissimilar to you guys. Yeah. He's a yeah. very persuasive uh, broadcaster and you listen to him and he's very compelling. It's just, you yeah. get that all the time, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, he, he does provide a voice for a section of our community and, mm. you know, we shouldn't discard that. And yeah. What we've tried to do in the energy and environment space and how we got these laws passed recently yeah. was trying to find areas of common ground, how we bring people together and, you know, find things that unite us and move forward. Uh, there's plenty of things that divide us and we have plenty of fights over that, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should, well, I'm trying to work towards a new brand of politics where we work to find common ground rather than areas of conflict. Were you given a kick up the bum from these bushfires? Was there a moment where you said Black Summer, uh, also known as the climate fires? Yeah. Uh, was there... Because these were a state issue, these... You were, know, were, were you, you know, and obviously you believe in this and you believe in... In, in, in science, which is refreshing, but do you think there was a moment? Did you did you run the ball up harder during all that? I mean, obviously you made a few enemies by giving what looked like measured comments. There were some people giving some red hot comments at that time, but you you know you you made it clear that as a member of the Liberal Party, you 
believed these nerds um, <laughs> that we pay fuck all money to study <laughs> science. You mean the experts? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> controversial, I know. Um, look, I was actually, the morning I... The, the morning that everyone sort of lost their minds over what I had to say was I was walking from Parliament House down to the Hilton Hotel on George Street and it was in the middle of these bushfires and the smog was just so thick you could hardly see 10 metres in front of you and I got to the Hilton Hotel and I, I the stank of smoke and I was coughing up a lung and I got up and I said what everyone was thinking this is not normal yeah. this is exactly what the scientists have been telling us about for decades yeah. and we need to do something about it yeah. and I thought it was relatively uncontroversial but yeah. apparently a whole heap of people thought this was heresy and yeah. uh, you know that you know I should be excommunicated from not just the Liberal Party but New South Wales yeah. and yeah, it was all very bizarre because, I mean, for me, that's exactly what people were thinking at the time. Yeah. The, those bushfires weren't normal, no, yeah. no matter what spin you, you have yeah. on well, it, how much they quote Dorothy McKellar. Morrison, it just is not normal. Morrison did say, you kids might not remember this, but I remember smoky days in Sydney. He did say that, I think, in an interview just around the time of the Murdoch Christmas drinks with Paul Murray and Joe Hildebrand up there in Bellevue Hill. No, that was, I think that was the same day that he went to 2GB and he got caught in the lift because the smoke alarms got tripped by the bushfire smoke outside. Mm. It was it was a wild time. What do you think it was, anyone was arguing uh, that there hadn't been bushfires in the past? Mm. What they were saying is that uh, they weren't of the devastating scale and magnitude as they yeah. were last year. I mean, we saw... You there know, was ash falling in your beer at Ryan's Bar. That was, uh, that's, how, that's how smoky it was. We well, you know there's a problem when <laughs> there's ash in your bar, beer at Ryan's Bar. Yeah, and it doesn't come from the end of a Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> So even in the CNH, extra mild kind of guy. Extra mild. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm strictly on the log cabin these days. (laughs) So it was a wild time. Can you tell us uh, from inside the New South Wales Liberal Party, it seemed like it was on. It seemed like there was a lot of pressure. There's that photo of the Prime Minister with clenched fists talking to Daddy Fitzsimmons just enraged by whatever. You know, who knows what it was over, but there was it was a bit prickly between state and federal. Obviously, Constance went down there and teed off on breakfast television. It just, I mean, that's what happens in a crisis. You know, people have to work together and sometimes it gets a bit bit prickly. What was the feeling within the New South Wales Liberals? Were you in, I guess, the right side of history uh, immediately? No, I I mean, mean, in Andrew's defence, I mean, you know, he he just watched his community be absolutely... You know, destroyed. Down on the beach. You know, he was there on the front line. He nearly lost his own home. He saw neighbours, you know, lose their their properties Mm -hmm. and, you know, all their assets. Uh, So he was very emotional. I don't think anyone could criticise him for that. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, this was unprecedented. Uh, our job as policymakers or community leaders is to make sure that uh, we put in, in place plans to see this not happen again. And there's no doubt mitigating uh, against bushfire risk and giving additional resources to national parks and to our firefighters and all that kind of stuff is critically important. But so too is addressing the issue of climate change. And we know that you know climate change is leading to more extreme weather events and that is leading to the conditions like we saw last summer, which led to the worst bushfires that we've ever seen. And we've got to address that as well. We can't mm-hmm. do one and not the other. And that's the challenge for us all. So can you walk us through this $32 billion 
green energy plan that you've got is like, like where does the motivation come to really diverge from you know the liberal party line which is trying to find the cheapest energy that's also good for the people who obviously donate lots of money to your party <laughs> well, where is the i don't ground? think it's diverging from the liberal party line i yeah. mean my job is to look after the community interest not vested interest right and the reality is that four of our five existing power stations in new south wales are coming to the end of their life they're old bits of equipment that were built in the you know 70s they're going to close. They've flagged the market they're going to yeah. close and we need to make sure they're replaced before they close. And right now, today, the cheapest form of reliable energy is a combination of wind, solar, pumped hydro and batteries. That's not the spin, yeah. that's the science. That's what so the this CSIRO tell us. This is an economic this, this decision. This is the economically not, rational right. path to take and the okay. byproduct of that is we're going to get some of the cleanest, cheapest and most reliable energy in the world. And as the world is moving to decarbonize, yeah. those countries that have a, have a competitive advantage in that clean, cheap, reliable energy, they're going to win. Yep. That, that means more jobs, new industries, future prosperity. Mm. Why wouldn't we grab it? Is there a yeah. soft power developing in these you know, countries that are, that are taking this seriously and getting on the front foot? Do you reckon they will not only be leaders in this space, but also kind of you know, that, that have a lot of leverage on everyone else who isn't doing this. Well, I mean, you know, I want New South Wales to be the Saudi Arabia of solar, yep. effectively. Mm -hmm. um, we saw, you know, in the past... Lambos. Lambos yeah. getting around. There you go. Imagine, around yeah. imagine you <laughs> cruising around Queensland in yeah. your Lambo. That'd, yeah. that'd be great. But <laughs> Not um, a trans yeah. <laughs> No tax. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing about the previous, I, I guess, the older economy with the fossil fuel economy is that those countries with the resources, the fossil fuels, they were enormously prosperous. Look in the Middle East, uh, look in Australia where we had an abundance of coal, etc. As the world moves to decarbonise, those countries with the new resource to power economies are going to thrive. So there's nowhere on the planet better place to thrive in a low carbon world than Australia. We've got an abundance of wind, an abundance of solar, we've got plenty of pumped hydro opportunities. And guess what? We've got a lot of land up in your neck of the woods mm -hmm. in the outback, which is relatively cheap. Yep. So you can basically cover them in solar panels, cover yep. them in wind turbines. Yep. In Queensland, there's been decades of land clearing, so they're already good to go. Yeah. Yeah. So how well, Campbell you... Newman was just preparing for yeah. uh, the, the, the new energy revolution that Put was coming. Put a chain That's between the... two tractors, mate. Yeah. <laughs> as our economies are moving to decarbonise, you know, as we all know, land clearing in New South Wales is quite a controversial topic at the moment. You know, you've got people who are saying, you know, it's we're up now, deforesting rates on par with the Congos and Brazil. You know, how does that tie in with going green? I mean, when you're taking more trees out of the ground. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we face is land clearing. I mean, yeah. I, uh, as the environment minister in New South Wales, this is something that is keeping me up at night. Yeah. Uh, and it's a constant battle between private property rights and, you know, the public good. What I will say is that that's one of the reasons that I'm aggressively trying to expand our national parks estate. And since I've come into the portfolio, uh, when I came in 12 months ago or 18 months ago, I set a goal of increasing the national park estate by another 200,000 hectares in two years. Yep. We beat that. 
So I've just upped it again to 400,000 hectares. Now, that alone is not the solution, but it's part of it. You know, we're aggressively expanding our national parks to protect yeah. uh, vegetation. And we've got a lot more to do and I intend to do it. So is that more or less going along the lines of what I think it was under, was that the Rees government they bought back to rally out at Louth? a sheep station out there on the Darling River and basically so the New South Wales government bought that turned it into a national park and basically shut the gates now it's full of pigs and now it's, it's just become such you know an, an albatross around the neck of a lot of you know primary producers in that far western area in New South Wales yeah we just can't lock up and leave land no. we need to manage it appropriately and whether that be for feral pests or bushfires you know it's not just about buying additional land to protect native vegetation and habitat it's also about managing it appropriately and that's that's what we're doing we've just added an additional 125 yeah. additional staff to national parks to help manage the new assets that we're getting but you know there there are enormous opportunities to owning land and opportunities to revegetate that land because you've you're not going to get to net zero unless you can offset some of our emissions. And one of the yeah. best ways to do that is sequestration. We've got a lot of public land and what we plan to do is use that to plant trees, to capture carbon and to generate more revenue that we can pump back into the environment. So we're looking to create a virtuous cycle on all this stuff in New South Wales. Do you feel like you've got a target on your back now? Because, I mean, obviously you know how big your job is. Um, I look at someone like your colleague, Dominello, is it? <laughs> who's decided to run the ball up at the gaming industry. And I imagine there'd be dirt files getting dragged across <laughs> clubs in New South Wales as we speak. They did it to Garrett. They'll do it to him. What's your plan from here when you start getting, you know, these smear campaigns and, you know, Murdoch puts an arrow in your knee? How do you, uh, how do you keep doing your job? Well, as long as I'm fighting for, you know, what I believe in and – representing the community's interest over vested interests, then uh, I'm just going to keep pushing forward. And, you know, there are plenty of noisy voices and angry voices. I'm not going to please everyone as we saw, you know, Mark Latham probably does have a big target on my head because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm standing in the way of him and his vested interest mates mm -hmm. from making a lot of money at the expense yeah. of, you know, mums and dads who, who basically are having to pay higher electricity prices because people like Mark Latham are standing in the way of more competition and lower energy prices. Right. So you, I, you must have a good relationship with Mark to get this thing through, even if he did make, you know, a, not few, really. a few post-it notes. Not really. I mean, you know, this is the guy that's but gone like, from being Gough Whitlam's protege to Pauline Hanson's yeah. Patsy. I mean, yeah. let's not he's, forget who okay, we're dealing with, all right? right. Like, as long as he's not going to, you know, lose his temper and break your arm you know, <laughs> well I won't be jumping in a taxi with him anytime <laughs> soon but like you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, okay well we know where you stand there so is is what about Barilaro is he is he on board Barilaro has been fantastic I mean this wouldn't have got through without John's leadership I know mm -hmm. he's been on your program before and, mm -hmm. yeah. and you know he backed this because he sees that it means jobs for the bush it mm -hmm. means investment in the regions 58 billion dollars is going to be going to the regions between now and 2042 and it means really really low electricity prices and mm -hmm. you know that's huge for those energy intensive industries which are largely located in the bush so yeah. no one wins more out of this package than rural and regional New South Wales. That's been one of the biggest arguments, I guess, uh, in Queensland particularly, you know. You've got uh, Anastasia has to walk the line between, you know, the remaining kind of loyalists in those central Queensland seats, the Labor loyalists and, the, and you know, this new narrative that Labor's anti-jobs in the bush. 
and and you know Turnbull had his own struggles with that too. You know, you look like the narrative has been that deranged inner city lefties want to take these jobs away just for the fuck of it. Uh, you kind of escape inner city lefty because you live in deep, deep North Shore suburbia, almost the lower central coast, you could call, <laughs> you could call you it. Could say that. <laughs> How have you found, you know, talking the talk out there? I mean, you don't do the Hurley hat. Do you do the brand new Akubra? Well, we, we bought one. Tegan, my media well, advisor here, she made me go out and buy an Akubra, largely because I have a lack of foliage yeah. on my head, which is probably explained by being the energy minister in New South Wales. But anyway... Um, Look, the, the key challenge in this space is making sure no one's left behind. Mm -hmm. We know that there is change coming because of new technology and a change in economics and these global megatrends. And no matter how much Mark Latham or Rowan Dean or Alan Jones or Sky After Dark scream that we shouldn't do anything, the fortunes of Australia, the fortunes of those employees and industries is going to be determined by factors outside our control. So we can uh, move to get ahead of the curve and support, grab those opportunities, but support those people uh, that could be displaced by these changes. Mm -hmm. Or we could just pretend like it's not going to exist. And let me tell you, that is a recipe for disaster, not only for those people, not only for those industries, but we will leave our country as a rust bucket state. Yeah. Well, Taking into account that, you know, in terms of the global picture, New South Wales, the emissions that they put out into to the world is very, very minimum. Is this all in vain if other people don't follow suit? Um, well, the reality is that other people are following suit. In fact, mm -hmm. with Biden in the White House now, it means 70% of Australia's two-way trade is signed up is with countries that are signed up to hit net zero emissions by mid this century. You know, South Korea, China, Japan, the UK, Germany, like Europe. Yeah. These are countries or, uh, you know, areas that have underwritten our prosperity for generations because we've been able to trade with them. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that the kind of products that they're looking for from Australia or other countries is changing as well. Yeah. And we're really well placed to service those new needs and we should get ahead of the curve to make sure that we can underwrite the next generation's prosperity as well. So why haven't we promised to do the same as those countries? Like, in your opinion, why haven't we made the pledge? Look, I mean, we have in New South Wales. We've got a commitment to hit net zero emissions by 2050. Like and we've got a very aggressive a federal target. level, though. Well, yeah, I'm that's... not a federal mm. uh, well, MP. They don't even know who he is, mate. They don't even know who I am. Yeah. Like. Well, well, you know, you're obviously, you know, you're in the club. You're in the know. Is there any reason why we shouldn't or is... No, I, I mean, I, I am a member of the Liberal Party and I'm arguing that we should have... Uh, a zero net emissions target in New South Wales because it's good for our economy. Mm. It's good for jobs. It's good for investment. And it's the economically rational position yeah. to take. Um, uh, can I explain why other people have a different view? Not really. Yeah. But, you know, I think that signing up to net zero emissions is good, not only for our environment, but it's good for the future of our economy. Yeah. Can you tell us, you've, you've said a few things that made everyone pay attention. Obviously, apart you, from wearing my skivvy, yeah, apart from wearing your skivvy, yeah, yeah, he's in the Archibald. He's, a, he's, uh, you know, in the, who else would have been in the Archibald this year? I'm sure there would have been a, a Lucy Turnbull, a Ando, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big quality's always in it, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you permanent fixture. You were uh, so you made those comments about Latham earlier in this interview, which, um, which I guess everyone's thinking and 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 you've made before. 
You've also made comments recently about the coal barons, you know, us being held ransom by the coal barons, which no one's really said anything like that before from either sides of politics that, you know, there might be some vested interests preventing certain policies. Is there any names? Is there anyone you want to name and shame? Um, Who are we talking? Are we talking Gina? Are we talking Twiggy? What's going on? You know, well, look, I mean, during the energy debate, you know, the people that came out and opposed it the hardest mm-hmm. were the people that currently benefited most from the existing system. Mm-hmm. If you own the only sources of generation, if you're operating as an oligopoly or a monopoly, mm-hmm. you own a generator, you want prices high. Yeah. You want the people listening to your podcast, the mums and dads out there in the suburb paying super high bills because it underwrites your super high profits. All I'm saying is we want more. We should have more competition in the market. We should be aiming for lower electricity prices that also is reliable. You, you don't want, you know, you can have very low electricity prices, but it may not, the system may not work all the time. We need to ensure there's a reliable system with the cheapest energy available. And if that doesn't suit the big energy companies, then that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. I'm on the side of community interest. I'm on the side of the mums and dads and people listening to your podcast who deserve cheap, reliable energy. And if that happens to be clean, all the better. And if that happens to get up the nose of the big energy companies because they own the existing assets, then, you know, that's not my problem. Is that a similar thing's happened with the, I guess, the the Sydney airport? For years, it's kind of, you know, no competition for Sydney yeah. airport. And now there's, now there's conversation. I mean, it came at quite a cost, but there is now a second airport being being built there which might mean that you could fly to melbourne for less than 500 dollars. yeah totally i mean think of the car parking situation at sydney airport where one guy yeah. owns the car park and he mm. charges through the roof it's like me coming along and saying well we're going to open it up to competition and then mm. him saying no i don't want you to do that that's exactly what's happened in this energy debate so it's got nothing to do with coal versus renewables it's got nothing to do with you know old technology versus new technology it's got everything to do with the economics and all i'm arguing for is more competition greater choice for consumers that will lower prices Mm. and guess who doesn't like that the big energy companies Mm. that operate uh, that make super profits because they have high electricity prices and who are these people do they live in australia yeah they live in australia absolutely you know there's this guy called trevor st baker who i signaled out on twitter and he owns he bought a power station for a million bucks and last year he made a 500 million dollar profit or thereabouts because of higher energy prices mm. I, I you know i'm a capitalist i i want people to go out and invest their capital you and get great to be able returns to flip a power station if that's what they have yeah. the money to do sure yeah. sure but i don't want them to do it uh, because they're gouging mums and dads in the suburbs. And that's why we're trying to open up to more competition, uh, provide lower prices. And if he's still making profits in that environment, then good luck to him. I haven't read through all the policy, but what do you reckon is the, um, it's going to be the front runner for renewables? In, is, it going to be, is it going to be solar? Is it going to be wind? I think it's going to be a combination of a heap of things. I think there's going to be wind and solar and pumped hydro and batteries are coming down the cost curve dramatically. And there's exciting new technologies emerging like hydrogen. It's not my job to pick winners. Uh, the market will sort that out. But, you know, the technology that will win will be the one that can provide the cheapest form of reliable electricity. And uh, that's where the market will move to. That's where capital's moving to already. Mm. That's where the super companies are moving to. Can you explain just to our listeners now, you know, some people might not follow the news, uh, you know, the political cycle, the state and, uh, political news cycle as closely as we do. What is it? How do we even have factions at a state level? Explain the factions in in New South Wales Liberal Party. Because 
Well, a firstly, lot of argue there aren't. Firstly, I'm shocked to hear that not everyone follows state politics. I mean, this is just, I'm falling off my chair here. Secondly, political parties are like the community. They are diverse organisations with people from different traditions, different backgrounds, with different points of view. And that's healthy for our democracy. And, you know, I joined the Liberal Party because, you know, I believed in liberalism. You know, I'm socially progressive, uh, but I'm also economically rational. But the Liberal Party also has people that are socially conservative, uh, but, uh, you know, may see a greater role for government Mm -hmm. in the economy. That doesn't mean one's wrong or one's right. It's just different. We represent, you know, the Liberal Party seeks to represent all Australians and you know, not all Australians have the same view on these issues. So you want your parties diverse, and there is that natural tension there. Labor has the same challenges. I'd, I'd argue that most political parties have the same challenges. Well, the the Greens have got the, you know, the nuclear disarmament faction, and they've got the, the Tasmanian anti-forestry faction as well. But you, obviously, broad church, you just, just described that to us in the libs. Who would be your federal contemporary? Who would you point to in the feds that is, you know, of the same kind of... Uh, brand of liberal as you? Um, well, I think uh, I mean there's a lot of <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of people that uh, Tim Wilson. I don't know. Uh, Tim is a great friend of mine, and um, Peter Dutton maybe. Uh, I think Peter and I read some different books. It's yep. fair to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know he's one of your Queensland contemporaries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, North Brisbane, probably. Not there. <laughs> In the mortgage belt. But I think the thing that unites liberals is the they believe in free enterprise. They believe in building a stronger economy, creating jobs and opportunities. They they believe in in capitalism. So, uh, whilst uh, Peter Dutton, for example, may be more socially conservative than I am, you know, on economics, I would imagine that we have a similar, a pretty similar worldview. So you'd be inclined to spend $100,000 a day to keep a family on Christmas Island? Well, um, I don't think we're that similar. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of months ago, we saw the New South Wales government almost be blown apart by koalas, really, in the scheme of things. Are koalas really that important? I mean, they don't really do anything. I mean, they just... <laughs> do you have them in Queensland? Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, they aren't that in the sacred. Zoom, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that koalas would blow the Queensland government apart. I think there's much more important things to worry about. Like but, taxi um, licences. <laughs> but what was that like? Well, stopping I mean, New South Wales people coming <laughs> north. Yeah. For a government to be torn apart by something so trivial, as a lot of people were saying, as koalas how did that happen I well mean, firstly i don't think koalas are trivial i think koalas are one of our most loved and iconic animals it's a good stuff um, they are massively under threat and the biggest threatening process to koalas is the loss and fragmentation of their habitat and this is about more than koalas this debate is about private property rights versus public good as i was explaining there are tensions in the liberal party uh, on some of these issues there are even bigger tension sometimes in the coalition. I mean, the National Party is an entirely separate party that mm-hmm. is in bed with the Liberal Party to form government. And, um, you know, th- th- they're the voice of rural and regional New South Wales. And the concerns of their yeah. constituencies are very different to the ones of ours in the city. So you've got, you, you say well, there's, gnats, there's gnats that agree with you on this? Definitely. I mean, there are some gnats that where the koala issue is really important. Um, you take Jeff Provis, the member for Tweed. I mean, that's you know koalas are loved up there on the far north mm-hmm. coast but then there are some other nats members inside inland that don't want their private property rights curtailed and 
because there's no koalas yeah. there. So, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach is not the right approach. And I think that the thing with John Barillaro and the New South Wales Nats is that they're working really constructively with us to find that path forward. And, you know, I'm, I'm involved in those discussions. I'm confident we're going to land it in a good place. But, yeah, I mean, there were some pretty yeah. tense moments there. Um, I know, as like, we saw. like as if the, the Nats actually were the real voice for regional Australia, in particular New South Wales, we wouldn't really have the need for the shooters, farmers and fishers, really, would we? I mean, like, where were they on, on that debate? Uh, the shooters, fishers, and farmers. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure where they're at with shooting koalas. I I don't know. I haven't read that in their platform. Um, but look, I mean, the Nats the Nats have always been the voice of rural and regional New South Wales. Um, uh, you know, I, I I think that John Barillaro and his team do a great job, and I, I think that'll continue to be the case. If you really need to, um, if you if you really need to be convinced that koalas shouldn't be shot out of the trees. You just need to hear one squeal when they do get shot and they don't die instantly. Yeah. It sounds like a, an alien dying. Is uh, it worse than when they're mating? Yeah, it's yeah. it's like that, but constant. And there's no, because the, yeah. the mating's more of a, <laughs> and I think the, uh, you know, the maimed koala will haunt you forever. Well, the thought of any koala dying is mm. like pretty appalling. I mean, mm. the, this is not. Uh, unless it's, you know, when they're like, 38 years old. In, oh, yeah, I like, mean... Just dropping out of a tree. I, I mean, Taronka Zoo or something. I don't, I, I don't think anyone genuinely wants, like, koalas <laughs> extinct or the only way you can see a koala in the zoo. I mean, you know, I, I think there are some legitimate arguments around private property rights that need to be dealt with, you know, how we compensate people for, you know, looking after koala habitat on their land. There are some genuine discussions to be had around the rate of land clearing and things like that mm -hmm. and how much national parks we should be protecting. But surely there is no one that doesn't want to see a koala not only survive but thrive. And, you know, that's why I've committed to doubling the koala population in New South Wales. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of work. I've got some of the best scientists in the country currently working up that plan. I'll have something to announce. Maybe I can yeah. do it exclusively on your podcast yep. next could. year, how yep. we're going to save the koala. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but, more know, zoos. <laughs> no, not more zoos. We need more habitat <laughs> and we need to make sure that we uh, look after them. Yep. And, and don't forget, it's not just... Um, the the loss of land it's chlamydia it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. huge threat huge, I mean huge. yeah in koala sanctuaries and in regional universities now <laughs> um, just uh, just one last question on those land clearing laws most of the land that's being cleared in New South Wales is is for agriculture and agriculture is one of the largest contributors of greenhouse gases in the world does this new plan have anything in there to offset that the new koala plan. Yeah or your new green energy plan? Like, is there any plan to offset, you know, these trees that, that are being lost, f you know, for cows and look, their farts? Or? Look, the, <laughs> the energy plan is all about making sure that our existing power stations are replaced before they close yeah. uh, with newer, cheaper, reliable forms of mm -hmm. clean energy. Does it offset clearing of land no it doesn't but you know part of our koala strategy which we will be announcing next year will have a concrete plan to not only protect our existing koala populations but see them double so um as i said maybe we can come back on the podcast and announce it mm -hmm. yeah. okay let's okay. We'd, we'd, we'd love to have you. the guardian or the sydney morning herald wouldn't want such progressive policy obviously no, should be no, coming no. a batuta no well thank you thank you for that and you've made a lot of kind of arguments today and 
and, and, and a lot of comments that I guess would be received well by in, in a bipartisan sense. Do you want to now, we give you the opportunity now to say something conservative, um, <laughs> maybe fiscally conservative, you just say just... Like, what are your thoughts on JobKeeper? Slash it, get rid of it, you know? Uh, no, I love it. Okay. Love it. It's um, fantastic. Important. I mean, because, you know, conservatives should be about having a strong economy and mm-hmm. the economy's taken a massive whack because of the coronavirus and mm-hmm. the government stepped in to support those people that have been displaced because of this. And, um, you know, it's all about making sure we build back better. And I think JobKeeper is going to be really important. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about- Legalize all drugs or ban all drugs? I can be conservative on that. Yeah, okay. can, can be conservative on that. So, no, I don't. I don't. Think what about a federal ICAC? Federal ICAC. Yeah, I think we need one. I'm not being very conservative here, am I? I'm a big fan of uh, transgender bathroom doors. Is that yes? Uh, <laughs> gender neutral bathrooms. How do we feel? Well, as the energy minister, this is not really my portfolio <laughs> areas. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> is it that big an issue? Like, I, I don't well, understand why I th- people are losing their minds over it. I think we do need a federal ICA. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, just in you know, I've got no problem with a tough and robust, you know, corruption watchdog on the beat. We've got one in New South Wales. Um, you You've know, been able to avoid it. We've got a yeah, <laughs> pretty toothless one up here in Queensland. I intend to keep it that way as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's a yes, all right. That's a yes, federal okay. ICAC soon. Federal ICAC now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think you're verbally me there, but <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I'm very happy with an corruption watchdog in yeah. New South Wales. Basically, this whole uh, ban all drugs, ban all fossil fuels, and... Uh, I don't think I said ban drugs. <laughs> I, I think... No. I think we're going to, this will be all through the Daily Telegraph tomorrow. My so, God, like they gave me a G in their ministerial ratings, G for Greeny today. I'll really? be getting a D for like, I'll be getting a Z. What, <laughs> how how low could I go after this interview? <laughs> well, it's an interesting time. We, we managed to get through all this, except for like, you know, the last two minutes we mentioned COVID-19 indirectly. It's good to be talking about something else. Thank yeah. you for joining us. Thank you for having me, boys. Thanks for coming up, Matt. Thanks for wearing your budgies on this one. No worries. (laughs) Thank you, Matt Keane, MP. (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) 